Off we go on another episode of the Final Score Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. Greg Swatek of the Frederick News Post Sports Department here with you. And on this week's episode, we will talk with Andrew Klein, the second-year general manager of the Frederick Keys. Uh, Keys uh, getting ready to start up their uh, second season in the Major League Baseball Draft League. Uh, they open on June 2nd in Emile Field against the Trenton Thunder, so we'll talk to Andrew about the upcoming season and uh, get into all the issues around the team, too. The, the team was recently sold to a new ownership group. Uh, what's the future of baseball in Frederick? Uh, uh, how do they view the affiliated ball situation? How soon would they like to get back to that with what's the stadium situation? So lots to dive into with uh, Keys General Manager Andrew Klein, and we look forward to chatting with him in just a minute. Uh, but there is a lot going on uh, here with the spring sports playoffs on the uh, local scene here. And here to help me uh, g- uh, wade through it all is uh, is John Cannon. How are you, John? Oh, fine. fine. Uh, y- yeah, we're, we're at uh, state semifinal level for lacrosse now, uh, state quarterfinal level for um, – uh, baseball and softball. Um, yeah, you 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 saw uh, a crazy game today where Ligonor uh, uh, turned the turned the tide uh, on a recent loss to TJ and and, and beat him ten nothing. It, uh, uh, it was a regional final, right? Yes, yes, and that uh, you know a little like a, almost a month ago, uh, TJ beat Ligonor by ten runs. So go figure. Right? Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Well, what surprised you the most about that result? Because that, that that it surprised me. Mm-hmm. I, the shutout, I think, did. Um, I mean, Linganore hits the ball hard. We've talked about that all year long. Even though you know TJ has good pitchers, uh, but the fact that uh, that uh, TJ was shut down is the thing that stood out the most to me. And Linganore pitcher Cameron McKay had a very nice game, and uh, she also uh, had three double plays to end the first second and third inning wow. three inning inning ending double plays so i mean when you have a defense doing that i mean that helps explain that that abbreviated shutout because the game ended after five innings yeah yeah tj's gotten some pretty good pitching all year uh mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, andrea larson you said did not start that game or? she did not but she came in and i mean Lingenor just i mean when they're on it's one of those things where i mean um mckay let off the game or at least let off Lingenor's uh, batting with a double and it just went from there and then one of them hits and the other one hits and that's that's a tough thing to go against when they I mean, get contagious like that uh so Lingenor advances in softball they're going to host wild wild um uh lake in a uh state quarterfinal uh, i i believe on friday uh, also on the softball scene uh walkersville beat middletown uh, to win the regional title uh, so they advanced to the state quarterfinal, and, and Urbana is, is also in the state um, softball um, uh, quarterfinal. Uh, so three softball teams left, two baseball with, um, with uh, Urbana, uh, as, as expected, um, uh, winning, um, uh, beating Clarksburg on uh, Wednesday 4-3. Uh, to three. Uh, Thomas Johnson uh, sort of... They do what they always the, the Patriots uh, do what they always do at this time mm-hmm. of year. They, they they win playoff games. They knocked out Tuscarora in in, uh, in the 3A West uh, to win a regional title, and they're they're in the state quarterfinals. John, I I, I know you've had an eye on this Urbana baseball team for mm-hmm. a while. I mean, they've been knocking on the door for a while, and right. it, it would kind of be nice to see them break through, right? Yeah, I mean, they've been an excellent program for I don't know how many years. Our, Mike Frampelter's been there what 15, 17 years, whatever it is. They um you know they they uh. 
I don't. Wanna, I hate to use the word deserve, but I mean they 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 they've been in the running before, and I could see them doing it this year. And it'd be be nice to see. And they have got three excellent pitchers, um, all of whom can pitch on Friday. So I like their chances of at least getting to the semis and see where yeah, they get from uh, there. Brendan Yegish did not throw in the uh, mm-hmm. in the regional final, right? Not so, a, so, so he's mm-hmm. he's available for this uh, mm-hmm. uh, state uh, quarterfinal game. And so. and the other two actually split the game, so neither one of them threw an awful lot. Um, the uh, Keegan Johnson started; he threw sixty pitches, so he can pitch again as well. And then the uh, Eli's. De Rossi Citron, I always have to think about that name. He came in and released. So all three of them can pitch. So I'm guessing they're going to start uh, Yegish would be my guess. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah and, and, and my mistake, Urbana-Clarksburg was a softball game. Four to three, uh, Urbana um, softball wins the regional title o- o- over Clarksburg and the Hawks advance us to a state semifinal. So three softball teams uh, uh, still going. Two baseball teams still still going. And we have uh, five lacrosse teams mm-hmm. still going. Both the both the Ligonor teams uh, won their state quarterfinal games. Both the Urbana teams won their state quarterfinal games, as well as, well as the Middletown girls. Uh, not surprising there. So, man, John, we got, we, we have a lot of activity, <laughs> and, and, and the scheduling is going to be crazy uh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, baseball and softball is it is it true they 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 basically have a week off before the before the state finals uh, after the semis. It, it changes by the year, but they always had some wiggle room because proms used to come into play. So like some sometimes I remember some of our teams would play like on Thursday night, sometimes Wednesday in finals. But they usually try to schedule for that weekend, like Friday, Saturday, or something like that. And that's their finals now. And the semis were usually early, earlier in the week, but they always had to take into account proms, graduations, those types of things. And they'd have to you know because you're dealing with two schools, and the odds are that one of those two schools might have some sort of conflict. Uh, the the other crazy story of the week is we lost the county tennis tournament uh, mm. for, for the first time maybe ever. I I, I couldn't find since a I've co- been up here. I, yeah. I, I I couldn't find a coach that could tell me when the last time it was wiped out, other than 2020 when the whole spring right. season was wiped out due to due to uh, COVID. Uh, they even got it in last year uh, in in the shortened spring season. So mm-hmm. that, that was a bit surprised. But but John, as you know, they they changed the the format for uh, tennis regionals uh, a couple of years ago and now um uh different counties are playing their regionals on different dates and and there is this mpssaa rule which came into play this week for the frederick county schools that you can't go back and play regular season and county tournaments once a regional tournament has started mm-hmm. urbana was in a 4a region that had already started which would have knocked them out of the county tournament and just to avoid the whole mess of potentially keeping Urbana out of the county tournament, they just scrapped the entire county tournament. I wonder, I mean, I guess they'll, they'll try to go to the state and say, hey, is there any way we can move this 4A tournament back? But if, if the answer is no, I'm wondering if there, we talked about this the other day, if there's a way they could have our county tournament maybe a week earlier, um, you know, and if they still have regular season matches after that, I mean, we, and again, we discussed this, is there, man, maybe they could start throwing a mixed doubles into the format when they play one of the other CMC teams and get ready for the States. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Patrick Barber, the Middletown uh, tennis coach, uh, he, he was saying that FCPS needs to be more proactive with, with the county tournament uh, because they knew proms were coming. They knew the weather forecast was dicey. So he felt there should have been more of a push earlier in the earlier last week to, to get more of these matches played. 
uh, because they they got about sixty percent of them in before before they before they pulled the plug on the tournament. But but yeah, it was a shame to see the county tournament. Spring is tough because yeah. I mean everything is compressed into that six week schedule, and you know, and early when you have rain, so by the end of the year, like in May, every day there's like just tons of things going yeah, on. Yeah, it's the quote unquote spring sports season, but most of it is played in the cold and, and potentially mm-hmm. the rain, and then you get like two weeks of uh, warm weather uh, as we get into May here, and then and then it's over. So mm-hmm. so it'll. it'll It'll be a busy uh, week for us, John, over the next week, but uh, it'll, it'll be exciting to see how it all shakes out, and then we'll be here to talk about it. So uh, thanks for coming in, as always. And when we come back, Andrew Klein, the Frederick Key general manager, will join us. So stay with us here on The Final Score. Got lots of questions for my guest this week. Andrew Klein is set to begin his second season as the general manager of the Frederick Keys. The Keys are set to begin their second season as well in the Major League Baseball Draft League. Uh, date is uh, June 2nd, uh, a couple of weeks away at Nimeo Field at Harry Grove Stadium, and the Keys will take on the uh, Trenton Thunder in the home opener. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Yeah, I feel like there's still a bit of a disconnect with fans in what exactly the Major League Baseball Draft League is. So could you could you put it in layman's terms for us? What, what should people know about the MLB Draft League? Yeah, so the Draft League uh, last year was the inaugural season. Uh, there are six teams currently in the league. Uh, all six teams, including Frederick, obviously, uh, previously were affiliated. So the way we were with the Orioles, all the other teams were in that same kind of setup. And basically, uh, we are, for simplest terms, uh, college wood bat league. Okay. And so uh, if you're familiar with something like the Cape Cod League, that's typically known as the most well-known college wood bat. But basically, uh, the college teams, they play with aluminum bats, whereas professional baseball plays wooden. And so... Uh, we are an area where they're able to come out, play with wood bats, get in front of scouts, play against some potentially better competition depending on where they're coming from, and really kind of get in front of those scouts, like we said, uh, to hopefully improve their draft stock and then get drafted at the draft, which this year has taken place in July. So that's kind of the, the very quick rundown of what the league is and what we're doing with the players to help get them seen and then eventually signed by the various major league teams right how do these prospects compare with some of the previous players the keys had when you guys were an oriole affiliate like what what type of player plays in the draft league so we're not necessarily getting like a first round draft pick most guys that are considered uh an expected first round draft pick or something like that more than likely aren't coming to us just because the the point of the draft league is to improve their stock it's something where uh, again it's that guy who he he had his college year, whether he got injured or he played well, but maybe just didn't get seen by as many people because he's in a smaller conference or plays at a JUCO or a D2 or D3 or something like that. Um, it It's still good talent. It's guys, we had a player last year who's actually returning this year who was drafted in the fourth round. And I mean, if you look at major league rosters, it's not all first rounders. It's um, there. There's guys that become superstars and stars in the league that are drafted outside of the first round. And so we had a guy that was in the fourth round. We had guys drafted up and down. I think we had seven guys total who were drafted from the Keys specifically last year. And then we had another four guys that got to sign contracts after the draft ended. So we had 11 guys that 
are on major league contract, although they're in minor league systems. But we had 11 guys that ended up in major league baseball systems after last year. So you're getting guys like that who are really looking to improve their stock and kind of get that one last look for the scouts. Yeah, obviously the season is built around the draft, mm-hmm. uh, hence the title of the league. The draft is in July, but the season stretches on. It's going to be a little longer this year because you guys expanded um, the schedule from 68 to 80 games uh, mm-hmm. this season. What what happens once the draft takes place? Uh, the draft is in July, but you still have August and I think into the first week of September to play. So so what yeah. happens after the draft takes place? So we take a break. I believe it's a five-day break during the draft. So we give our players the opportunity if they want to be with their families during the draft, all that kind of stuff. Uh, once the draft takes place, we our league is already going to be in communication with players who either did not get drafted or are not necessarily signing, uh, guys that no longer have eligibility at the college level, so a senior who can't go back or a guy who might just be ready to go for his pro career. And those are the guys that are going to be kind of rejoining the league as well as any additional guys to fill in the roster spots of the guys that had been signed and are moving on to a minor league affiliate program. And so uh, it's kind of a hybrid in this sense where in the second half of the league, it's guys that are really looking for that free agent signing, uh, guys that believe that they're ready for that moment. And so they're still able to get in front of scouts. They still know the relationship that we have with Major League Baseball and the 30 teams. And so that's who fills our roster out on the second half of the year, as opposed to the guys who uh, potentially, if you have a junior in college who either gets drafted but decides he wants to go back to school because he thinks he can get higher draft the next year or doesn't get drafted at all and wants to go back to school, he wouldn't come back for the second half, but you would have these other guys who no longer have the NCAA eligibility and they would be coming in and taking over to finish out the season and fill out the roster and be able to play. So in theory, your team could look much different in the second half of the season after the draft than it did leading into the draft. Yeah, it could look different. I mean, that that happened to us last year, like I said, just based on the draft pick part of it, where when a guy gets drafted, he more than likely is done playing with us just because he's now negotiating his contract and potentially jumping into whatever system the team that drafted him wants to put him into. So there there is that change. But then, like I said, there is also the opportunity for guys to stick around. We had guys that stuck around last year, and we're, we're expecting that, uh, again, one of the big benefits of why the draft league even exists is the footprint of where our league is between us being here in Maryland and then uh, the teams that our teams range from West Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, two teams in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a kind of a hotbed of where baseball people like to be and where scouts like to be. And so it's really easy access for scouts to come through. And so, again, it gives them that look for those free agent signings that they can then if if it was a guy because. Sorry, I'm like stumbled over myself. But um, basically, the draft, it used to be a larger draft. It used to be 40 rounds and even more than that. Now it's down to 20. And so you have these guys who may not be getting drafted, but two years ago would have been drafted before they uh, reorganized everything. And so those guys are getting signed as free agents. And so that's where you're having teams come in and look at our guys a little bit longer and being able to sign them at that point. And so that's where the viability in that second half really comes in. Right. This is year two for you now. What would you learn uh, from season one of this draft league? I mean, for me, the biggest change, if you will, that I experienced that I never really expected draft league compared to affiliated minor league ball is my interaction with the team itself. Um, A lot of people don't realize they hear the word general manager and they think 
I'm making the moves. I'm the guy signing the players and things like that. And that's not at all how it is at the minor league level. I'm much more business side of things. I'm more responsible for the promotions that people are getting as a fan and making sure that we have the food at the concession stands and the group outings and taking care of sponsorships and partners and everything else. But this first year, at least, it was a lot of helping coordinate travel for players, making sure that uh, we had our guys where they needed to be. There was a combine that took place uh, in Philadelphia for the draft league, and so our guys had to be out there um, dealing with housing and rooming and things like that, especially in a COVID year where we weren't allowed to use host families. And so it was a lot of interacting with the team itself, where in normal times and in affiliated ball, the affiliate handles all that stuff, and I'm more on the other side, just making sure that we have our fans there to cheer on the guys. Uh, who, who puts the roster together? Who's in charge of the roster? So the roster, it's, uh, there's a group called Prep Baseball Report uh, who's really made their name in the amateur scouting side of things. And so Prep Baseball Report, in collaboration with Major League Baseball, are the ones who are doing the invites. So basically, to be in our league, number one, you have to be draft eligible. You're not going to see like a college freshman from a D1 school here because they can't get drafted. But they have to be draft eligible. And then really, they get invited based on talking to the scouts and the management of the 30 teams and who they want to get that extra long look at, that guy that they heard some stuff about, whether it's because of his body size or his hands or whatever it may be. Uh, but they're the ones that are doing all the amateur scouting, so to speak, and then putting the invites out there. Once the guys sign a contract and join the league, then it's a matter of they place the guys on the six teams based upon the needs of the teams, where the guy's coming from, if it makes sense based on location. Like, I know this year we have one of our players is coming from Mount St. Mary's, Luke Pryor, uh, one of our pitchers. So from, we're really from Middletown, yeah. Yeah, he's originally from Middletown, and he pitched at Mount St. Mary's this past year and everything. So we're excited about the fact that we're going to have a hometown guy in that way. We used to have a couple of hometown guys with the Orioles, with Brandon Klein and um, – yeah, and so we're just we're excited that they did that for us. But uh, again, it's it's a combination of different factors that kind of makes them choose where a guy is going to be assigned in that sense. But I don't really have any say in that. It's more of I'm handed a roster list and I'm told these are the guys that are going to be on your team. So let's make sure you have everything you need for them based on jerseys and what have you. Who, who are you the point person for this team? That this group that puts that. This, that uh, disperses the players to the various teams? Are you are you the point person, or do you have someone under you that communicates with this group that is in charge of the rosters? And, like, like who who on your end coordinates the rosters and just makes sure everything's in place with, with this group that, that... So so I'm the person that... I, I guess I'm in the league meetings. Yeah. So we have our weekly league meetings and stuff like that, even in the off-season. And so I'm dealing with league president, the other teams, all that kind of stuff. But then as the roster stuff starts to come out, uh, obviously our coaching staff is aware of everything as they're getting closer to coming into town. Uh, one of the main people that helps with the roster is our radio broadcaster, just because the radio broadcaster is also one of, is one of the only employees on our side of things that travels with the team. Yeah. And so the radio broadcaster is involved. My assistant general manager of operations is involved. And then we're passing that information to our clubhouse manager, we're passing that information to the bus company, the hotels on the road. Um, we This year, uh, Prep Baseball Report has added an internship that's a scout and player liaison position that's going to be helping with getting the guys coordinated into the, uh, into the city after they fly into town, if they're flying and stuff like that. So 
Uh, I am kind of that first person that gets it, but there's a number of other people who are also receiving the information and then based on what it is, they're doing slightly different things than what I'm doing with it. Yeah, what, what can you say, Andrew, about the caliber of the baseball? How, how does it compare, would you say, to the Frederick Keys is an Orioles affiliate? Just, just what, what, What's the difference there? I mean, I know last year we started very slow and that was that was tough i mean it it was moving into a new league it was a lot of people not knowing what they were going to be getting out of the the caliber of baseball uh people are hearing college players compared to pros that have signed their contracts and so starting with a a a big losing streak that didn't help us in that sense in terms of letting people know what it was i think the fact that we did get those players drafted i think we had the second most guys drafted in the in the league out of based on teams um, that helped us a little bit, but really the way I've kind of tried to explain it to people in this area, at least that I think makes the most sense back in 2019, the affiliated baseball, there was the New York Penn league. And that was a short season affiliate where the players didn't show up until June and Aberdeen was in that league. And we've had fans who obviously were not that far away from Aberdeen. We have fans that will come to our games, go to Aberdeen as well as Bowie and other teams in the area. And the guys in Aberdeen. A lot of those guys are people who had just signed their draft uh, contract, and then that was the team they were assigned to based on the fact that they had just been drafted, and so they were being given a clean team that didn't already have a winning or losing record, and they were able to play a season that way. So for us, we're getting guys two to three months prior to when they would have been sent to a team like Aberdeen back in 2019. So it's really not that big of a drop-off, all things considered, from affiliated ball. Yes, we were high A ball, so we had a couple of levels between us. So, yeah, you're not going to get quite that in that sense. But if you're looking at affiliated ball in general, this is very close to what you were seeing when you were looking at affiliated ball in the Orioles system or any other team system. So it's not a huge drop-off, in my opinion, in that way. Yeah, what what, what sort of feedback did fans give you uh, last season? I mean, we had... Obviously, there was a number of fans who are the diehard Oriole fans, and the fact that we're not the Orioles, that was an issue for them, and I completely understand that. But again, as the season went on, it seemed like more and more people were finally getting more excited about the team. I think one of the bigger issues that we've been trying to combat this offseason was because things were, I don't know if rushed is the right word, but the league wasn't announced until December of last year, and then we were kind of working from behind with a lot of stuff, and obviously we had the COVID restrictions, and there was different parts that weren't happening or we weren't allowed to do based on all of that. We had a lot of stuff where pl- the fans didn't necessarily know our team, and that's not something they're used to. When you are a fan of the Frederick Keys in the past, like I said, you had Delmarva and Aberdeen below us. So you had, if there's a top prospect or a guy who's highly regarded in the system, you know where he played last year. You know he's going to probably come to Frederick this year, at least for a portion of the year. And you can be excited about that because you've got a team ranking that says, on the top 30, this guy's number two or whatever it is. For us, we didn't have that. So it was a lot of really making people know who the players were, making them understand that even though this guy may be coming from a smaller school, he's highly regarded because if you watch him, he can throw the ball 95. He's got size. He's got this and that. And so what we've done a lot of this year is we've, we were fortunate enough that the league gave us our roster early, and so we've been promoting a lot of the guys during their college season. So you'll see guys, we have a player who's committed to our team, who he actually was on the team last year named Jarrell Ortega, and he's currently an infielder at the University of Tennessee, which is a, a ranked program and planning to be in the playoffs and everything, which hurts us a little bit in the, pl- in the sense that because of when our league starts, he's probably going to be one of the 
guys who reports a little bit late because he's still committed to his team until their season ends. But it's exciting because we're being able to pump out videos of him that when he hits a home run, they're posting stuff and we're able to repost it. We're able to promote our guys. And so we're, we're trying to combat that so that fans know who our team is coming into the season as opposed to finding out who they are a month in after watching them that long and having to kind of learn who everyone is. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, was that a big priority across the league? Like, get these rosters out early and, and then let fans learn the team, like like you say, well before the start of the season. Was, was that one of the big changes that was implemented this year? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, again, last year, for lack of a better term, it was a lot of proof of concept. It was the inaugural season of the league. It's called the draft league. We needed to prove that by committing to this league, you are going to get seen by scouts. You are going to potentially get signed as long as you've got the talent and you're showing them what you need to. And that happened across the board. We actually had more draft picks than any other college wood bat league. We had more draft picks than the Cape Cod League last year. And so now that's not really the hurdle for us, in our opinion. A lot of the players know what it is. They're not hesitant to join the league in any way. So now it was more a matter of now that we know we can get them committed earlier and we have a full winter of invitations and if you want to call it recruitment where you are explaining to them what it is if they may not have heard about us last year now they're able to commit earlier and we're able to get those rosters announced sooner and like i said it was by design that they were announced right as the college season was starting because that's when they're playing and we're able to really promote them because it doesn't mean much to a guy or to a fan that we have so and so from university of kentucky if it's December and University of Kentucky's not playing. But if you can say Jake Plastiak, who played for the Keys this coming season, is at the University of Kentucky and he hit a homer last night, that's something you can get excited about as you know he's going to be in Frederick in the next couple of weeks. Do you, do you think that'll really make a difference? Do you think that will really help the league that fans will be more familiar with these players before the start of the season? I think so. I, I think that combined with, again, I hate that I have to keep bringing it up, but the COVID factor of things. Last year, we were not allowed to do a lot of fan interaction. And so some of the staples that you may be familiar with coming to a Frederick Keys game in the past, like our meet the teams that we do on Sundays, uh, we usually do two to three of those throughout the year. We weren't allowed to do that. We were, although I'm sure there were, I'm, I'm, I say I'm sure, I saw it happening, although we were technically told we weren't supposed to encourage it. There were fans getting autographs. We were technically told, don't make announcements that it's no autographs this year because they wanted to keep guys as safe as possible with all the COVID stuff. Now we're able to put the, our team in the community again. We have our baseball camp coming back, and it's going to be Keys players again like it normally was, where last year it was our manager was the only part of the Keys staff that was a part of the baseball camp, and we kind of had to do it out with a third party. And so... We're going to be doing a lot more stuff where the team can actually be involved in the community and can sign autographs and really interact with the fans. And so I think between knowing who they are ahead of time and then being able to actually have those interactions at the stadium, I think that's really going to go a long way for the fan base. Did you guys have host families last year? or No. No, okay. no we weren't allowed to have host families. So last year uh, we had all of the team was kept in a hotel. Uh, so we had them uh, with, our, with Plumundin as one of our partners. We were able to keep them in the Fairfield Inn, uh, which worked out because our team gym is right across the street with the Gold's Gym. So players are able to walk across the street if they needed to and things like that. Uh, this year, we are doing a bit of a hybrid uh, just because it has been two years since we had host families and some people are still not quite ready. And then it's also just, again, it's been a, a little while and some people 
may not be as willing to open their doors based on the the current situation of everything so we have some of the players are going to be with host families and then other players are going to be back in the hotels during the home uh portion of our season okay but but in terms of like the community piece that you were referencing there it, it, aren't, aren't the host families an important part of that you, oh absolutely you, you sort of want the players to be out there with host families because yeah. the the families get to know the players and and then they tell their friends and stuff and everyone's coming to game so it seems like that host family piece is a big part of what you guys do yeah absolutely i and like i said i i view the host family as a really uh a, a, a hugely beneficial part for the players i mean it's something that I, I guess they've changed it a little bit now with um, the major league teams are now paying for housing, but it's something that major league players all went through coming up through the system. It's something where you really do get ingrained into the community. Uh, you get to know these people. I mean, I, I've been uh, friends with Amanda Addington, who, who up until this year that she's actually she's turning the reins over as our head of the host family program, but she's been doing it for, I think, a decade or so. Uh, she... Um, I, I've been friends with her and she is so close with some of the guys that have stayed with her that like when Michael Bauman, who is on the Orioles, I think he's currently hurt, but he's on the Orioles right now. When he had his major league debut, I saw her sitting in the stands next to his parents. And so you get those types of interactions and experiences that you're never going to, like you can't explain. And even the guys that don't make it to the majors, they still leave a mark on the host families and they're, they're special to them. And so being able to go back to that is really special for us. And I'm really excited about the fact that we had a meeting with our host families, I think it was just over a week ago, just kind of explaining the differences between this league and what it was back in, I guess, 2019, the last time we were allowed to do it and we had a season and everything. And they're excited about it. And so it's just a matter of finding out the exact report times of our guys so we can start getting guys assigned to the different housing. Yeah, we're talking to Andrew Klein, the general manager of the Frederick Keys. Uh, Keys uh, start their season on uh, June 2nd at home against the Trenton Thunder. Uh, so they'll be at Nimeo Field at Harry Grove Stadium. Looking forward to ha ha having a more normal season, right, Andrew? The uh, We have a vaccine now, and it, it seems like a lot of the pandemic uh, precautions have been removed. So it'll, it'll feel more normal for people this year, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it will. Uh, one of the things that we were fortunate about last year was restrictions and Maryland got lifted about a week and a half right before our season started. So we were able to have full capacity, so to speak, although we didn't really market preseason just because we thought we were at a limited capacity and we thought we were at that brink already. So we were kind of playing from behind in that sense. But we, we've been able to talk to people and people are excited to come back. The biggest thing that we really dealt with last year, which was understandable, was the group outings were down compared to previous years and again understandable some people weren't ready to do that yet businesses may not be ready to do something additional beyond whatever they normally do because of all the stuff that was going on but we're seeing those numbers bouncing back and i mean frederick has always been a huge um supporter of the frederick keys and we saw that last year even in an abbreviated season and even with the potential of uh, restrictions and stuff like that. We had over 125,000 fans over a 34 game schedule, which if, I mean, I would have been happy with 10 fans, honestly, just because I, I don't think people realize, at least from my perspective, I've been in baseball for over a decade. I've worked for four teams, including the keys and 2020, when we had our season canceled, it was really tough for me. Like I know that the major league season came back even without fans and we were able to watch it and stuff like that, but it, it's part of my year and my life. And it's one of those things where I spent 
I spend the entire winter from basically the beginning of September when our season ends up until April normally, planning out the season, working with partners, trying to make sure that everything that happens at the stadium is as good and as fun and enjoyable for our fans as possible. And to have that ripped away, I guess it was the beginning of March, and then we were in limbo until June, and then they just canceled us. It was just really tough on top of everything else that everyone was dealing with, and obviously. So uh, I was very happy to have the fact that we had as many fans as we did, and I'm expecting the numbers to continue to go up. Yeah. What, what, what sort of reaction have you gotten from fans, uh, ticket sales, and advertising partners, spo- sponsorships? Has uh, that been strong uh, heading into this season so far? Yeah, it has. Um, I mean, it's it was one of those things for our, our advertising partners. It Really, we were very fortunate that when the potential downsizing reshuffling of minor league baseball was first announced, we we were on that initial list and there was uncertainty. And I personally, before I was the general manager, I was AGM and before that I was director of sponsorship. So I've been dealing with our advertising partners since I've been in Frederick. And the day that they announced that we were on the outside looking in, so to speak, but also joining the draft league, I was getting emails and phone calls of our partners that were just excited about the fact that baseball wasn't gone because it it seemed like a lot of people really thought that it was Orioles or nothing, and that wasn't the case. And I think although we unfortunately are not with the Orioles and we had to move into a new league, people were still excited about the fact that we have baseball, and I think Major League Baseball through this draft league was very aware of the fact that the market in Frederick and the support of the team in Frederick, it's not something that you want to just let disappear. And so where other teams were kind of left on their own and kind of some jumped to independent leagues, some jumped to nothing, we were invited to this league. This league had already been announced. There was five teams and there was a secret 16, so to speak, that they said was eventually going to be announced. And we were that 16 that the moment they said that we weren't going to be a part of the affiliated 120 it was announced we were that team so that everyone knew we were still affiliated with Major League Baseball, even if we weren't affiliated with one specific team. 2020 was kind of a double whammy, wasn't it? Because you, you're dealing with the pandemic and is the season going to happen? And it didn't, of course, and that was ripped away from you. And then that coincided with all this reorganization of the minor leagues. So not only do you not have the season, now you lose your affiliation too. So that that, that was really hard for I'm, I'm sure you and a lot of your staff to deal with that sort of double whammy of, okay, uh, we don't have a season and now we don't have an affiliation. I mean, just how did you keep morale up in the office? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was definitely, like you said, it was a one-two punch. Um, it, I mean, it was tough. It was, we were at a point until probably, until the announcement really, where uh, again, in 2020, we were working from home for a long time. Some of our staff had to get furloughed and things like that. And it, it was a lot of just trying to stay busy, trying to reach out to fans and to sponsors and partners and things like that and just kind of let them know we're still here. We're waiting to be told what's going on with our season and what's going on with 2021. But uh, again, it, it wasn't the easiest thing when you're you're trapped at home for a portion of it and you're not really getting answers right away because everyone wants an answer. And again, in, in this day and age, people want answers as soon as possible. And unfortunately, we just didn't have that. So we tried to do what we could. We, we tried to do in our limited capacities that we were allowed. 
we did things like Coyote for Halloween, went to people's houses. So you were able to sign up and he showed up for at houses with can boxes of candy rather than people being trick-or-treating. And we did some catch on the field events and we tried to do some events where our ticket holders who get their gifts every year could come to the stadium and pick up those gifts, even though there was no season going on. So we, we tried to stay engaged, but that was one of the toughest things for us because not to say other industries had it good necessarily because everyone was struggling but we were in a spot where there really wasn't anything that we could do in our stadium and with our team our season was canceled it was done it wasn't like i i use a restaurant as an example and i'm not trying to say restaurants had it good by any means with what was going on but restaurants had the ability to deliver they had the ability for takeout some of them did the eating outside yeah, version they, of they, stuff. They, they, the city closed some streets for restaurants right or they, they were able to put tables in the middle of the street yeah and so again not that that was good but it was better than nothing we were basically working with nothing because we were told there was no season the players never showed up and then it was like all right you have an empty stadium and you have your staff that has been working towards a baseball season that you're not allowed to put on so what are you going to do so that's where we were like all right let's try to do some events where fans can at least come out here and play catch or do whatever it is but again that's very minor all things considered compared to what we plan for every year have you gotten a lot of negative feedback andrew people from fans uh, any any sponsors saying ah eh, it's not affiliated baseball it's not the same it's not as good uh we're out have you have, have you heard a lot of that no not necessarily like i said the biggest thing that we get is the the oriole diehards and the way i try to explain it to people is obviously we're not affiliated directly with the orioles anymore but the way we're set up where anybody can get drafted by any team, we, we kind of have 30 affiliates now. So it, it kind of opens up our opportunities in the sense of being able to have a guy, if especially in this area where there's a lot of transplants, uh, you may not be necessarily an Orioles fan or even a Nationals fan. If you moved here because you got a job in the area or work in D.C. and commute or whatever the reason is, you might be a fan of the Minnesota Twins. And now you can say, hey, this guy who played for the Keys this year got drafted by the Twins, and so now I got to see him before. and So it, it gives us that opportunity. But, no, I mean, we really haven't seen a ton outside of, again, that that Orioles part of things, which, again, is, is very understandable because we are in we're an hour from Baltimore. There, there's going to be Orioles fans, and I understand why they would be upset about the fact that after 30-plus years being Orioles, unfortunately we're not right now. On, on top of everything else in these last two years, the team was sold uh, in January. Uh, what can you tell us about Attain Sports and Entertainment, uh, Maryland Baseball LLC, the new ownership group, um, and, and what, what's it been like working uh, for uh, Greg Baroni and his people so far? It's been really good. Uh, so like you said, Greg Baroni and Rich Roberts are the two kind of principal owners of the team. Uh, Attain Sports and Entertainment is a part of Attain Partners, uh, so they have a larger business. They've been uh, kind of businessmen for quite a while. Um, they do a lot of different things, but this is their first venture into the sports side of things. Uh, they purchased the Keys as well as the Bowie Bay Sox. And one of the biggest positives, in my opinion, is that they're local. Our previous ownership, I I have nothing but good things to say about Ken Young and our previous owner. You were down in Florida, though, right? Yeah, he lived in Florida. Um, he owned five teams, uh, including us and the Bay Sox. Um, and it was one of those things where he would visit once or twice a year. But again, it was a little bit more hands-off, and that was fine for what he wanted to do. Uh, but having Greg and Rich here in the area and being so close— they're, they're going to be at opening night. They're going to be doing things throughout the year. And they understand that 
this is a part of the community and that part of the reason that the keys are in the spot we're in is because we need to make investments into the keys and into the community. And so I'm really excited about the fact that they not only understand that, but they're embracing it. And then combine that with the fact that they also acquired Bowie and Bowie is still the double A team for the Orioles. And by acquiring not just a draft league team, but also an affiliated team, they had to go through that whole process that comes with being in an affiliated team. And so they're already making those relationships with Major League Baseball and the things that come with that. And so I, in my opinion, I, again, not that there's anything hard and firm necessarily, but in my opinion, it gives us a little bit of an advantage, so to speak, in the sense of once we do start making those investments into the community and into the team, and we do what we need to do that should theoretically get us to the point of being eligible for um, affiliated ball again, I think that we should be, in my opinion, able to get there relatively easily or quickly just because, again, we, we have those relationships. We have the ability to talk to those people and know what they're looking for in a team and in a facility and what have you, and then we can work to do what we need to. What, what is Greg, what is Rich's, what is Attain's vision for the team ultimately? I mean, I think everyone from in Attain and everyone, I mean, we're part of Attain as well, but everyone in the building uh, and even the people that we work with at the city, whether it's the mayor or the alderman, everyone is in agreement that moving back into affiliated ball is the goal. And doing that in as short a time as possible is also the goal. It's just a matter of it's something that's going to cost a lot of money because it, it requires large renovations to the stadium. And it's one of those things that we need to figure out what that's going to look like, what that timeline's going to be, and then we can kind of move on from there. But everyone is in agreement that affiliated ball is what we are looking to be a part of again, whether that's the Orioles or not. I don't know because obviously you can't, there's no crystal ball in that sense. Uh, but uh, the draft league, we're happy that we have it. We're happy to be a part of it. But we understand that it's also the right now, but it's not necessarily the long-term goal. The long-term goal is to get back to affiliated and that 70-game home schedule and having one team that we work with and being able to do all the things that come with that. Uh, the, the stadium, it was built in 1989. It, it's it's, it's a 25-plus year stadium uh, uh, just about. Is that is that the biggest obstacle to getting back to affiliated ball? And, and, and sort of what is the path back to affiliated ball for the Keys? Yeah, I mean, it, the stadium is the reason that we are where we are right now. It it's it was a great stadium when it was built. It has served us very well. And the real thing is it, it was a combination of things where we never anticipated a downsizing of minor league baseball, obviously. That's not something that had ever happened. And so for it to come out of what it did, that just no one thought that was a possibility. In Under our previous ownership and everything else, we, we've been putting improvements into the stadium. We work with the city. We have lots of years of money and lists and everything else of things that we're working towards. But primarily, most of the stuff that we do has been front-facing um, improvements, things that in, enrich the fan experience, whether that is upgrading some of the general admission seating to the blue reserved seats behind home plate whether that's upgrading our upstairs club and suites so that they're more um, modern, whether that is adding a new concession stand or expanding our nets so that there's more safety for the fans. More often than not, that's the type of stuff that we've been doing. And although it is wonderful for our fans, it's not what a Major League Baseball team wants. They want things to be improved for the players. And 
there are things that unfortunately have not been really addressed in a serious way since our opening in 1990. And so if you look at for the clubhouse as an example, the clubhouse is not a bad clubhouse, but it was built in 19 it, it was built based on the standards of a minor league team in 1990 and that's when you would have 25 players, a hitting coach, a pitching coach and a manager and that was it. Nowadays, you've got whole analytics teams that are coming through and trying to do things whether it's a, through the trackman or whatever it is with statistics, you've got roving coaches that could be coming into town any day and they don't necessarily do one at a time. So you might have five coaches joining you for a day or a week. And then you've got additional players because if there's an injury, the guy might be on the injured list, but he's not necessarily sent away from the team if he's only going to be hurt for a couple of days and just needs to let his arm rest or uh, recover from whatever it is. So spacing has gotten tougher in our clubhouse, despite the fact that we haven't done anything wrong necessarily. It's just baseball has evolved in that way. And so, yeah, our clubhouse needs improvements and it needs more space for that. Um, ba baseball's not crazy about the players walking through the concourse to get to the clubhouse too. Is that right? Or That's what I've heard. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about that one just because the Reading Phillies, they do that and they are still affiliated. So I don't know how true that one is okay. necessarily. I mean, again, I think that's personal preference by people. Sure, if, if, you can, if you're investing millions of dollars in certain players, yeah, you probably would like them to not be potentially getting stopped by a fan to get an autograph every time they want to get from the clubhouse to the field. Right. But at the same time, I think, there, I think there's other things that are probably more pressing than that specifically although i'm sure that's something that's on a list somewhere yeah i i i said it was a 25 plus year stadium it's more like going on 35 years mm -hmm. uh, uh uh harry grove stadium now uh, nimeo field at harry grove stadium on, on the cost benefit analysis is it better to start over start from scratch let's get a new stadium going in frederick or it, would it be more cost effective to renovate uh harry grove into what it needs to be to get an affiliated team it's an interesting question because cost effective i think renovating it is probably the correct answer i think you can renovate it to the point that you're you would need based on that with probably less money uh, we're talking in tens of millions of dollars with all of this so it's well out of my realm of i can't just pull it out of my pocket obviously i'm talking about other people's money when i say this stuff but it's one of those things where you really have, I think the cost benefit analysis, so to speak, is if you claim that $30 million will renovate the current site, or let's say $50 million builds you a brand new site a mile away in town. Yeah, that's a $20 million difference, which is huge for most people, but... Does $30 million stay $30 million, or do you start running into things because you're trying to renovate a stadium that's 30-plus years old and now it turns into 35 or 40? And then at what point of renovating the current location is it like, well, for that amount of money, I should have just started a brand-new spot? So those are the conversations that I might get to be a part of, so to speak, but I'm definitely not the final decision maker on those just because of, like I said, the amount of money that is being talked about. It's it's something that between ownership and discussions with the city and everything else is really going to have to make that call and what's the 
the long-term plan is is the current site or are we going to potentially look at a, a new site yeah well who, who who would talk i mean would would you be heavily involved with that would you be the point person between the city and the team or would greg and rich and attain be i mean i imagine you all be heavily involved yeah. in it but but who will directly negotiate make those negotiations yeah i mean I, I believe ownership would be the ones doing the, the main conversation when it comes to financials and things of that nature with the city. Um, I think on a day-to-day point-person basis, that would be more of me. Uh, again, they're here, they're local, so it's not as though they're not able to get to town and get to face-to-face meetings. I mean, we have stuff like that scheduled and we've had conversations already about certain things, but it, it's one of those things where Again, at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't think anyone's going to give me approval to spend ten million dollars or whatever it would be without having conversations with the other people first. So, um, again, I think on a day to day, it would be a little bit more of me just since I'm the one that's in the building daily. Is finding land an issue? Would you have to build on the current site or would you would you need to get something off off the current location? Um, again, it, it really just depends on what they would want to do, because I I th- my understanding is there's probably some land that could be a potential site. Uh, again, there's stuff that would have to happen for it to get to that point. It's not necessarily ready to go tomorrow. And, and that adds to the cost, too, because you have to buy the land right. before, before you even put the first brick down on the stadium. Yeah. So, so uh, again, that that's all the, the cost-benefit side of things. But, uh, I mean, it's either looking at that option or it's looking at the option of potentially – whether you want to call it gutting the current location or just doing other types of renovations that are long-term improvements that would be able to do stuff. So it's, again, just trying to figure out what that what's the most logical and makes the most sense for the long-term viability of the team. The decision to either build a new stadium, Andrew, or, or renovate the current facility, do you, do you think it'll be a close decision? Do you think it'll be maybe a coin flip for ownership at this point? Uh, I'm really not sure. It, it was something where... We, we were waiting on a couple of different factors, and so we haven't really gotten too far into those conversations yet. Uh, obviously, we had the new ownership that took uh, effect at the beginning of January, and then back in November, the city had their elections. And so the, the mayor is kind of our landlord, so to speak, and then we obviously work with all the aldermen as well. And so we needed to know who was going to be involved with everything. So those conversations are, are finally starting to pick up, in my opinion. But it was I, I just don't really have a feel, so to speak, of how close or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, so, so the roster was announced in March. Uh, the fans are going to get to know your players a little before the start of the season, unlike last year. Um, so, so that's out. You'll have a local player, like you said, in, in, in Luke Pryor. And pe- mm-hmm. people always love the, the hometown Frederick Keys. Uh, you also have a new manager that that, that, that uh, Major League Baseball fans will know, and and mm-hmm. and, and Joe Oliver. Well, what's it been like to work with uh, Joe so far? He's been good. I I haven't met him in person yet. He'll be in town probably um, about a week and a half from now. But uh, I've, we've been communicating by phone and text message and stuff, and I'm real excited. He he's got a lot of experience. Uh, like you said, he he's known as a major leaguer. He's a World Series champion. I believe he won the 1990 yeah, World with, Series. Yeah, with, with the Reds. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he, he has big game experience, all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of people who believe uh, catchers are some of the best managers. And so he comes from that uh, grain, having been a catcher in his career. But uh, one of the things that excites me the most, uh, last year he was in the Appalachian League, which the, the Appy League was similar uh, to us, where the entire league ended up on the outside from the affiliated ball. And they are also in that college wood bat style. 
So he did an entire year with that. And his pitching coach and hitting coach that he had with him last year, uh, Dennis and Angel, they are both came with him from, uh, I believe it was uh, Bluefield was where he was last year in West Virginia. And so we, they've got familiarity with each other. They know how to work with each other and they know kind of what it is with this kind of league. So I'm really excited about that and pair that with the fact that he did manage in the minor leagues and he actually managed the Salem Red Sox a few years ago. So he's been to Frederick before. It it should be a pretty exciting year having him. Yeah. So take us through the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, The season opens uh, June 2nd. What will happen between now about two weeks out and uh, the start of the season. When when will players show up? What's, what sort of events do you guys have going on leading into the season? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I think I mentioned it to you before we started. Tonight we have our, our game day staff orientation, so we're getting our game day staff ready to go for the season. Uh, on Friday of next week, our coaching staff is getting into town, uh, so they'll be here about a full week before opening day. Uh, we have our Keys Fest, our annual event at the stadium, is going to be on Saturday the 28th from 11 to 2. So that's free for all fan, uh, for anyone that wants to come out, be able to come to the stadium, play at the fun zone, all that fun stuff. Uh, but then on the 29th is the first day for players to report. So players will start reporting on the 29th. And then the 30th, 31st, and 1st, we'll be having workouts at the stadium for the team. Uh, we'll also be working our media day in there, and we'll be just really kind of hoping to get the team to gel a little bit better. That's one of the, another one of the things that I'm really excited about compared to last year, where last year we basically had a three-day window between the coaches arriving and opening day, and it, it was very condensed, very rough, and it was all over a weekend where coaches got in on a Friday, players on a Saturday. We had one workout day on Sunday, and then the team hit the road for a Monday opener. And so the fact that we'll have three days of being able to work out together, get to know each other, that, that does go a long way for the players. Like, I mean, they need to know each other if they're turning double plays, if they're uh, just, again, doing standard baseball things that guys have different tendencies. And so being able to be around each other a couple of days without games will help. And I'm going to test your memory here because you have no cheat sheet in front of you. But what, what, what sort of promotions uh, do you guys have planned? What, what, could, what sort of fun things can fans expect this season at the ballpark? Well, as always, we're, we're going to have a lot of firework shows. Uh, we have 18 firework shows over a 40-game home schedule. And, so, and they're always on the weekend? or Yeah, so yeah. it'll be every Friday and Saturday of the season, uh, so second and third game of the season on the third and fourth. And then we have two Sunday firework shows. One of them will be on July 3rd, which is our Independence Day celebration this year. And then the other one will be the season finale, our fan appreciation game on September 4th. So we have 18 firework shows. Uh, we are doing a bobblehead giveaway uh, with Flying Dog. Uh, that's going to be for D.L. Hall. Uh, so D.L. Hall pitched for the Keys back in 2019 when we were still affiliated. He made it to the uh, Futures game at the All-Star game. Uh, he's currently in AAA. There's, he's, if you're following the Orioles, he's one of those guys that you're waiting to get the call. And so we're excited to be able to do a bobblehead of him. That's going to be on Saturday, September 3rd. Uh, so we have that. We've got Opening weekend is Family Fitness Weekend, a staple of ours for years. So we've been working with uh, FCPS uh, to be able to give tickets to kids who are doing some extra outdoor activities and things like that. Uh, We're going to have jersey auctions and giveaways uh, that benefit charities. So we're bringing back our Cancer Awareness Night uh, with the jersey auction. Art in the Park is coming back. Uh, We are doing a um our big one that we just announced is our star wars night Uh, we're going to have a jersey auction with that as well benefiting sophia madigan's playground so um 
yeah, we've got all those. Nimeo, uh, obviously, as our naming rights partners, Nimeo Field, they're going to be doing a uh, T-shirt giveaway, uh, something that they've done for a few years. Uh, the T-shirt's going to be Austin Hayes, who's currently with the Orioles. Uh, Coyote's birthday. Um, how, how about the always popular celebrity uh, mm-hmm. a, a, appearances? Yeah, we have uh, a few different celebrity appearances. On that opening weekend, uh, we have um, Gary Clark, uh, former, I guess you can call him a former Commanders player, technically. Uh, he'll be out on Saturday, a family fitness weekend. Uh, I believe it's July 23rd, which is our also our scout night. Uh, we are going to be doing Sandlot night, and the actor who played Squints from the movie Sandlot is going to be coming out to the game. Uh, and then we also have uh, Parks and Recreation, the television show. Uh, we're kind of replacing our office night that's been successful for us the last couple of years with Parks and Recreation. And so Jim O'Hare, who played Jerry on that show, he's going to be coming out as a celebrity appearance on that night. So we've got a few different ones. Uh, a- 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 any pro wrestlers uh, this yes. year? Yes, uh, we have Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He'll be coming out as a for our wrestling night. No, uh, awesome, I know. Yeah. I know wrestling night is always a big one for our fans. So <laughs> that's, that's why I had to ask. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I meant to ask you earlier uh, the, the schedule. It, it, you guys started in May last year. Now, you, mm-hmm. now you're starting in June. I think you ended in mid-August last year. Now it's uh, that first week of September, which is often when uh, the affiliated keys season ended. What was, the, what was the thought behind expanding the schedule and, and, and also pushing it back? Uh, so pushing it back made a lot of sense because if you're familiar with college baseball season at the Division One level at least, although uh, admittedly not a lot of people follow college baseball compared to football and basketball, uh, conference championship week is that week uh, right before our season starts. And so basically even if a team may not be making the officials – field of 64 playoffs to potentially get to the college world series they're probably going to be playing in that conference championship week and that was one of the issues that we had faced last year where we had players that weren't reporting when we thought they were going to because they were still committed to their team which rightfully so their team hadn't finished their season so by moving it back a week the conference championship week will end and so unless you have surprise teams that aren't expected to win their conference and end up doing it we have guys that will have completely finished their commitment to their college team and are able to get to us in time for opening day. So that was the reason on that side of things. Uh, the expansion of the season, again, more games is better, honestly. I mean, we, we came from 70 games. We went down to 34 games last year. So being able to get that back up to now 40 home games. Um, like I mentioned a little bit with the split and how we're going to be having the guys in the back half of the year, that was part of how we had to go about that because the college season is going to start back up so we can't necessarily have college guys on the back end or else they'd be leaving us so that's why we kind of switched the the format so to speak on the back end of the year to be able to extend to that labor day plus it gives you six more home games right yeah exactly yeah right so 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 that helps did you lose any games last year due to rain or any any, any yeah we had a few rain outs so uh we had two games that were never uh that we weren't even able to open gates and then we had two games that we started but then we had to stop okay so so 68 was more like 64 uh yeah uh, last season okay yeah and in the added schedule pad that a little bit too mm-hmm. i'm sure so yeah. uh on, on a personal uh, level andrew uh, how'd you get into this line of work and, and how'd you become a, a baseball gm <laughs> um i i have a very roundabout route compared to most people in this industry I, I obviously anyone that works in baseball is a baseball fan in some level and so i always feel dumb saying that part but i i actually i, I went i grew up in south florida my mom's whole family's from maryland so i have wanted to be in this general region and 
uh, for years. But oh, really, winter snow? You, you you like all that stuff? Or no, I don't really like that stuff. But I I, I like the area regardless. Like uh, we we used to do all of our summer vacations were centered around my birthdays in July, and we would do two weeks that overlapped with my birthday up in Maryland, and I'd get to go to O's games and stuff like that. Awesome, yeah. So I, I've always been a fan of this area, and again, having the family up here. But uh, I went to school at Florida State, and I have a history degree. I did not study sport management or anything, which was the beginning of me not doing things the right way. But uh, I graduated and really didn't know what I wanted to do and applied for some teaching jobs, didn't get it. Uh, in Maryland, you wanted to stay in Maryland? or Well, no, at that okay. point, I was still in Florida because okay, I was okay, at Florida yeah, State. Right, yeah, and, right, right, yeah. And um, I was actually living in Orlando. And if you ever come into my office, I have a framed uh, – rejection letter I, I applied to be a custodian at an elementary school and was rejected and i was like cool i'll save that till a rainy day no kidding wow yeah but i uh well, I, you, your your sweeping skills weren't good enough apparently or you, you, i didn't even get an interview you, you you lacked mopping skills or yeah, wow wow something but yeah i i eventually of all the random things i got a job working at a toll booth in orlando while i was trying to figure out what i was doing and i met some people who were going to central florida the university and studying sport management and they explained to me about how baseball had the winter meetings which i was aware of but i didn't know about the job fair that traveled with it and that year it happened to be in orlando at disney and so my parents paid the entry fee which was a couple hundred bucks to be allowed to go to the job fair and you basically every minor league and major league team has to go to the job or has to go to the winter meetings and i was able to get in-person interviews with people and so I got offered a job in Little Rock, Arkansas with the, a double-A team for the Angels called the Arkansas Travelers doing stadium operations, which was literally cleaning the field, uh, setting up the field, cleaning the stadium, uh, picking trash, uh, just all that fun a, stuff. At that point, did you want to go back to the janitorial company and say, look, I, 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 know, I, right? I, I, I can do this work? A little so. bit, yeah. <laughs> But it, it was a really weird, whatever. They told me that they didn't care that I didn't have a degree. They just wanted to make sure I was committed for the year and I wasn't going to quit on them midway through the season, anything like that. They, they thought it was funny that I worked at a toll booth and they called me Toll Booth Willie for the entire year. So that helped me, apparently. Did, did, uh, did Disney wasn't hiring when you were looking for a job? Or, I mean, they uh, probably were. I, I wasn't really applying there. I, I yeah. The toll booth was an accidental thing. I went there planning to apply to be an usher for the Orlando Magic just to try to get into sports and the hours and pay were better at the toll booth so I went that way. No kidding. Said. Wow. But wow. um but yeah, I went to Arkansas and Arkansas just happened to win the first half of their season. Uh and they had a very interesting setup and that season was weird. Um first I lived in the baseball stadium. They have an apartment in the stadium and they had six operational interns every year and so me and five other guys were living there and so if we finished our jobs, we were allowed to kind of just hang out in our apartment until the next time we were needed, like batting practice or whatever it was. And in 2011, that was the year I was in Arkansas, uh, it was double A for the Angels, and they had a 19-year-old on the team who has now won three MVPs named Mike Trout. And wow. so Trout was there for the first half of the season, and so the team, having a future superstar along with some other future major leaguers, won the first half. So rather than hanging out in my apartment when I had downtime, I wandered into the front office and tried to get them to teach me things because I was just of that mindset. And they started letting me call ticket holders and try to sell them playoff tickets. And so that was my first experience kind of doing the sales side of things and being in the office and not just out by the field. Did you see your future in baseball or were you, were you just not sure where it was going to go? I, I didn't know where it was going to go necessarily, but I knew I wanted to do baseball. I, I kind of had the mindset of if I was going to be working, which obviously I was, 
I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And to go to a baseball stadium every day, there's a lot worse things you could be doing, even if you're not necessarily the player or the coach or whatever it is. Right. So I I did that, and they weren't hiring, unfortunately, at the end of the year, which probably okay. I don't know if I would have done well in Arkansas. But um, I went back to the winter meetings that following year, and I got a job out in Washington State, my first full-time job. Uh, selling season tickets and group outings for a team called the Tri-City Dust Devils. And I was out there for two years. Um, it was really good. I took over the groups department after the first year and oversaw that. And I only left because I really just didn't want to be so far away. I had basically picked the exact opposite location from my family with my parents being down in Florida and my life in Washington. So I left and I ended up getting a job in Pennsylvania with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And I was out there selling tickets for about three years. And uh, they had some changes at the end of that season in 2016 within their staff. And I kind of was ready to take the next step in my career. And I got the impression that it probably wasn't going to happen in that building. So I started looking at opportunities. And that's when I ended up talking to Dave Zedellis uh, here in Frederick. And he had the opening with the director of sponsorship. And I wanted to get into that side as opposed to just the ticket side. And when, when did you come to Frederick? What year? Uh, November of 2016. I okay. Got okay. So you've been here uh, six years now, going yeah. on seven years. Wow. Yeah. So. And so one of the things I wanted coming here was... I wanted to find a place where I could put roots down. I, I was not really looking to bounce around every couple of years the way I had been. Um, and then I also just wanted opportunity. And that was something that was sold to me and was very truthful was they promote from within when people show that they can handle it or if they want to take on that challenge and get the opportunity to try it. And so I came in, I took over the sponsorship department and we had a great first year. I got promoted to assistant general manager. And then I was assistant GM up until Dave Zidellis left. And the day, the day before he announced he was leaving, he called me outside onto the concourse and let me know that he was officially going to be resigning the following day. The moment he resigns, I have to call the ownership and let them know that I want to set up my interview because they're waiting for my call because he had been talking to them about me and that I was ready for that opportunity. And so that's how I ended up as the GM. Yeah, I mean, back to some of your early jobs, could you have ever pictured yourself as the GM of a baseball team? Not necessarily. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's a winding road. It's not what you expect from a lot of people. My, my family really likes to joke about the fact that they visited me in Arkansas and I was scraping gum off the bottom of seats and now I'm the GM of a team. But I mean, in, in the baseball industry, at least, that for whatever, for better or worse, there are a lot of people who do internships and they, they work their way up and it it's not necessarily the the most fun but it is one of those things that you you really grow you learn to appreciate where you're at once you get to it and you you understand especially in this atmosphere of minor league baseball where you have smaller staffs where people are expected to help out with stuff you're not above anything uh i I will admit I have not jumped inside Coyote as a mascot or anything since becoming GM. I have been in Coyote for things as needed when there was emergencies it, prior to that. Are we going to change that this season? or? Um... I hope not. I mean, I hope okay. there's no emergencies. But, I mean, right. one example that I will give, uh, just don't let my daughter hear this. Uh, I have a five-year-old daughter right now. Um, uh, back in 2019, we had the baby shark picnic where uh, we had baby shark and we had a second shark suit uh that people had paid money to be able to do a meet and greet in the picnic area they got some food and everything else and about five minutes before we were supposed to open gates the guy who was set to be baby shark 
tried to put the costume on and he was too big for it. And I have a smaller build than, than some of the people on staff. And at that point I was AGM and they all looked at me and I'm like, are you guys trying to ask me to be Baby Shark without asking because you're afraid to ask me because of my title? But, but you scraped gum off the bottom of seats Yeah, before, and I was so. like, we've got over 200 people who have paid to see Baby Shark. I will jump inside Baby Shark. <laughs> and so my wife has a photo of me, her, and my daughter, and I'm in the suit, and she has no idea it's me. But Baby Shark tried to give that one little girl a lot more hugs than the other kids that day. So <laughs> I'm sure. I, I've done what I have to. And if you come to a game, you'll see I'm down there helping everyone on the tarp. We're, I'm, I'm the hot dog guy if you come to a game. So anytime we throw the hot dogs, I've done that every hot dog toss since I've been in town. I don't give it up. I, I'm a big fan of it. So uh, nothing is, I, I always tell people when I bring them on board, I, you may be asked to do the mascot. You may be asked to do tarp or some of these not-so-pleasant jobs but you're never going to be asked something that we wouldn't ask of everyone else on staff, including myself. Right. Is your baby shark picture, is that right next to your uh, rejection letter uh, for the for the custodial job? Or, no. Uh, I mean, I, like, like I said, it's a mascot thing, so you're probably not supposed to tell people that you were in there. So I kind of broke a rule right there by saying that. But I do have a picture of me and my daughter, and I'm in the hot dog suit after throwing it at the game one and, time. And, but she knows it's, and she knows it's you, obviously. Yeah, the hot dog one doesn't cover right, your face. Yeah, right, so yeah. she, knows, she, she calls me the hot dog man. <clears throat> right. Now, would it, if your daughter hears this, would this totally ruin her life if she found out that you were the, you were the baby shark and, and, and she didn't? Would that, would that completely I, ruin it I for her? I don't think that would ruin it for her. I think she'd be more upset about the coyote stuff because she still believes it a little bit more in coyote and yeah, okay. how that works. And yeah. so I, I've had one close call with her when she came to the stadium on a non-game day and the bathroom was in use so i took her in the press box and she came out and the head was on the floor and she goes coyote's sleeping and i was like yeah he is and we got out of there as fast as i could and she still brings up to this day how the time she saw coyote sleeping in his bedroom and i'm like yeah he was sleeping yeah without the rest of his body yeah but so. she didn't notice it because she was small enough so it worked out so you've literally started from the bottom the but the bottom of seats uh, yeah you know, your, your 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 career started when you were scraping gum off the bottom of uh, uh, seats so mm -hmm. uh the, the toll booth job was that just mind-numbingly boring or um a little bit i mean it it's exactly what you thought the it, it's i it was a 75 cent toll so i had to give people quarters so that was fun i guess uh i mean my my joke at that point in life was toll booth work is the perfect job if you like standing in a very small jail cell with one wall missing so you can breathe in gas fumes like yeah it, right right yeah you get a nice face full of exhaust yeah every, i mean every, every i time. it was typically an eight hour shift i worked my my primary shift was the uh 5 45 a.m to 2 15 in the afternoon 5 40 was, was that the worst getting up for that job when, when I, the alarm... i've always been a morning person okay. in that way i'd rather the the next shift was uh, i think 1 45 to about 11 o'clock at night and i was like i'd rather wake up early and actually have some of my day, then sleep in and then go to work and go back to bed. But I imagine the alarm clock hit the wall a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, it trained me for having kids. I, I was up at probably 4.45 today, so <laughs> right. you know, it happens, but... Yeah, uh, and just, just a word on the grind of the uh, the baseball season, Andrew. I mean, it's, it's uh, 80 games, uh, 40 home games now, just... And, I mean, you're... So, other people's summer vacation is when you guys are at work, uh, mm -hmm. oftentimes, or when they're not, when not when they're not working, you're at work. So just how, how do you cope with the, just the general grind of the baseball season from where from April or from June second to September fourth, you're going to be almost on every day. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely an adjustment for people. It's it's one of those things when someone new gets into a team, whether it's at a full time position or an internship or what have you. Um, 
they definitely you you kind of see the writing on the wall pretty early on the people that can't handle the fact that there's quick turnarounds it's it's not football where it's once a week it's you have a five game homestand you have last what was it last june our schedule we had every weekend we had games and our office is open nine to five monday through friday so i don't think i had a day off from i I definitely didn't have a day off from the end of may when the team got into town until july 3rd i think i had july 3rd off and then we had the game on july 4th so i went over a month without a day off and it just is what it is with long hours but i mean I'm doing what I love. Like I said, it's something that I I really enjoy. I've had people ask me in the past about like, am I going to make the jump to the big leagues the way other people do? Because I've bounced around and I really don't want to because one of the things that I really enjoy the most is at the big league level, they've got such a big staff that you're not expected to do certain things. And as a result, you don't make the relationships you make. I, I like the fact that I'm at every game because if there's an issue, I can fix it in the moment. If there is something good happening, I can see it happening and I can make sure that it we find out what it is so we can try to replicate that magic. And that's where the relationships happen is being at the game and talking to a, a fan or a client or whoever it is. And so I, I really enjoy that. And that's why I, I like being in minor league baseball and draft league baseball, whatever you want to call it. Um, my wife, she probably would like me to not be having all the long hours over the summer, but uh, I've always told people the best, if you're going to get into sports, in my opinion, baseball is the best one because you, you get your holidays. Yeah, you don't have your summer. Like I said, my birthday's in July. I've worked baseball games on my birthday. I've had my family show up and we've had like lunch in the birthday tent at the stadium. And then I go back to work and they come to the game and they say hi to me while I'm running around. But you miss in a 70 game season. You potentially miss Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day, Fourth uh, of July, and like Veterans Day. And not to say those holidays are not important, but if I'm trading those off so that I can have Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's holidays that people like go out of their way to watch an NBA game or an NFL game or what have you, uh, I think that's worth it for me. Plus, I can go on vacation in the winter to a tropical place, and it's still warm. Right. So it's probably a better price. <laughs> there you go. And do you work less in the off season just because you've worked so hard in season and so many hours in season? Yeah, the way I try to explain it to people is in baseball season, I'm working those 12-hour-plus days. But to a degree, things get to be a little bit more on autopilot because of all the planning we do. So unless there's something that we're not expecting, things are kind of running as they need to, and we're just making sure that it's going the way it's supposed to. In the off season, I have more of that nine to five, but that's where we're planning everything. Uh, there, there's definitely people who just don't realize. I, I get questioned every year, "What do you do in the off season?" It's like I'm that's planning. Your, that's your busiest time. Probably. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where the real work is happening because that's where we're planning. We're making sure that if we're going to have a new promotion, if we're going to do something, selling sponsorships. Yeah, yeah, whatever it may be. Well, that's when you have to do it because you can't make something happen in two days. You need to, like, like I said, we have a Star Wars. Uh, we're going to do a jersey auction for with a Star Wars stuff on it. Uh, and that's something that takes months to get approvals from Disney and Lucasfilm. And you can't just show up and say, hey, we're doing Star Wars tomorrow. And same, like a bobblehead. We have to figure out who a bobble is. We're dealing with China. We have three to four month lead times once everything is approved and done. So it, it's 
all that stuff takes place in the offseason and getting a sponsor attached to it, if that's what we're looking to do, getting a celebrity committed to a specific date that we actually have a home game on and coordinating travel. So, again, it's it's shorter hours but more stuff. And then in baseball season, it's longer hours, but hopefully things run kind of the way they're supposed to because you've already planned it the way you need to. I would imagine you've become a pretty good weatherman uh, by this point. I've got, I think, five different weather apps on my phone. Uh, <laughs> we, we actually we had our staff meeting earlier today, and I was talking about making sure everyone has their tarp closed because we need to do a practice tarp pull before the season starts if the weather allows it because we can't pull it out there if the sun's out because we don't want to harm the field. But if we have a cloudy day, we're putting it out there just so that the new people know what needs to be done so we're not panicking when the team is actually here. All right, so you're constantly looking at radar during season, I, I would imagine? Yeah, or? I mean, it's... Uh, Part of the job, right? Yeah, you never want to lose any games, but you definitely don't want to lose a game because a storm popped up at 1 in the afternoon, and if we had just been paying attention, we could have covered the field, but instead the field got soaked over 20 minutes, and now it's unplayable. So you got to just be aware of everything. Right. Well, hey, Andrew, uh, great, great stories, man. Uh, th- thanks for coming in. Really appreciate you, uh, you taking all my questions and answering them so well. So uh, we look forward to st- the start of the season. Uh, just, just a couple of weeks away, the Keys and the Trenton Thunder. Uh, then they're away for the next week, but then uh, uh, right back home on uh, June 14th against uh, Mahoning Valley. So uh, Andrew Klein, uh, my, my, my great thanks, the general manager of the Frederick Keys. Best of luck here in your second season in the Major League Draft uh, League. Yeah, thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate you having me. All right. Uh, my thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, thanks to John Cannon for coming on a little earlier talking Frederick County sports. Uh, as we uh, conclude the spring sports season and get into uh, baseball season in Frederick, we'll, we'll have more uh, Keys guests on. Hope to have uh, Coach Joe uh, or Manager Joe Oliver on uh, soon, too. Uh, maybe someone from the new ownership group. That would be great, too. So stay tuned on here on the final score, folks, and thank you for listening.